This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. They say that politics is show business for ugly people, but sometimes it's for show business people too. In this episode, I speak to the comedian David Bedil, who's just been in Parliament to appear on a panel to discuss the problems with anti-Semitism. We touch on that, including his recent row with George Galloway, who called David Baddiel a vile Israel fanatic. Baddiel called him anti-Semitic, something that Galloway denies. We'll also discuss the wider problems with social media, forcing people like comedians to take positions on every political issue under the sun. Plus, UKIP's terrific version of Baddiel and Skinner's song, Three Lines, and why Tony Blair is like Bob Monkhouse. Just before we begin, I've got to tell you that David Baddiel's current tour, My Family, Not the Sitcom, is happening right across the country right now. For tickets, go to davidbaddiel.com. Right, plug over, let's begin. First of all, explain why why are you in Parliament? Well, can I just say to your listeners, we are in the smallest room <laughs> I have ever been in. It's like unbelievable. Um, it's like something from being John Malkovich, like in a bad, nightmarish dream. And I, I didn't know there were rooms this small anywhere, but particularly in Parliament, and I suspect people are normally tortured in here. You do, th- you do get the feeling that, that the whole world could end outside and we'd still be you know, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. chatting Yeah, because it looks a bit lead-lined as yeah. well. Yeah, so maybe Theresa May comes and hides in here when she thinks the whole thing's going to blow up. Uh, but I was here, not at this room, but another room, because I was asked to be on... On the I don't know, kind of, what is it, the international something something panel about anti-Semitism? I don't even know the name. Some big important you know parliamentary panel that's been set up to try and combat I think rather than foster anti-Semitism. And they asked me to turn up because this particular discussion, I mean, basically I get asked to do like every anti-Semitism event going, but uh, this particular one was about online anti-Semitism and about the distinctions such as they might be between hate speech and free speech and the laws surrounding that which don't really exist Um, and so because I get a lot of that and because I have a particular policy on that which is to the opposite of don't feed the trolls which is absolutely to feed the trolls in order to bring them fat and sweating out into the light um, I seem to be known for doing a bit of that and they so they wanted to talk to me about it and I wasn't going to come but then uh, as, as some of your listeners may know uh, I was uh, attacked in a way that sort of touches on the subjects of that panel uh, by George Galloway recently and that although I didn't talk about George I thought I might present one or two examples very similar to that where out of 
in a completely random way, I chose an example of, I'd done a joke, Trump had said, the wall is the wall, about his wall. And I said, I preferred Pink Floyd's version. And next thing I knew, some bloke had decided to say, yeah, but the wall that counts is the one that stops the Palestinians coming in for the genocidal Israeli apartheid state. And my point about that is, perfectly all right to say that, but he's saying of it to me, when yeah. I made a joke about Pink Floyd, that is racist, because yeah. he's only saying it for one reason, and that is because I'm Jewish. Uh, and that is no different from me banging on about ISIS to Adil Ray for no particular reason. And so how do you feel, I mean, presumably, is it Twitter which has drawn you into becoming a sort of professional panellist on, on this sort of issue? That is a really good question in general, in that I am thinking of, like, possibly even doing my own little show about politics, with the, possibly the small people. I'm much more political than I used to be. That is not... As a result, I think, of any sort of maturity of outlook that comes with age or <laughs> thinking more carefully about the news, it is to do with Twitter, uh, totally. And the reason it's to do with Twitter is because I am a comedian and the thing that does happen all the time is the news. And Twitter is this very particular technology that suddenly appeared where if you think of a joke, you can suddenly put it out there. Yeah. And because the obvious thing to make jokes about are the things that have just happened that everyone else knows yeah. about, at least... 50% of them are going to be news-based. There's also other stuff that yeah. I make jokes about. Uh, I made a joke uh, yesterday about how I'd read somewhere that if you drink, you're supposed to, at my age, drink three litres of water a day. I saw it in an article, but it didn't say anything in the article about a man of my age having to therefore live in the toilet. Now, that isn't <laughs> a political joke. That's just a straightforward joke about something I read, but it's still something that I read, and then and I thought... And it's in top Yeah, I'm going to make yeah. a joke about it. And so I found myself making jokes, and I think Trump is kind of a case in point in that I think that like as a comedian if you're on social media on Twitter particularly and you've got this incredible resource really sort of unbelievably weird strange thing of the president of the United States writing hilarious I think you know sometimes you hardly need to make a joke about them because yeah, they're yeah. so funny anyway uh, tweets seven times a day then obviously you're going to have to start making jokes about them and then next thing you know, you're a political comedian. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Given that your comedy previously wasn't overtly political and you didn't necessarily take a political stance on things, mm. do you find... I mean, I still don't, actually, I, I get, think. But I get the impression that you basically get accused of being a Tory, yeah, I do. Yeah. anti-Trump, yeah. a Corbynista. Yeah. I get attacked from all sides. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, on the, on the Jewish thing, you know, where uh, one of the reasons that... I said that Galloway was clearly, in my opinion, with that particular tweet being anti-Semitic, was because I've made it very clear that uh, my position on Israel is entirely what I call meh. In other words, to quote Morrissey, Morrissey says, in panic, it means nothing to me about my life. He's talking about disco music, I think, at that point in time, but I speak about Israel. I'm, yeah. an, I'm a British citizen. I've lived my whole life here, apart from being born in America. Uh, and Israel is sort of a foreign country that I feel very little connection with, you know, but I'm expected to answer for it all the time. So on that note, I am accused, I note, when I, of being either very Zionist or very anti-Zionist. Both sides will have a go at me. You know, uh, recently, in fact, when I, when I said the thing about Galloway, about being uh, meh about Israel, I'm either then accused by the Corbynistas or whoever it might be, of like, you shouldn't be meh about Israel. You know, it's the most terrible place on earth and you should be condemning it. Or I get really pro-Zionist saying, why be meh about Israel? It's a fabulous place. You know, that's terrible as well. And I would say, being a person who... You know, I like to think of as having nuanced and original to some extent and uh, opinions that are opinions of my own. So I have started to say on Twitter when people accuse me, say, of being a lefty. No, I'm not a lefty. I'm, not, I'm, I'm neither right wing nor, nor left wing. I am no wing. And that's a bit glib. But what it essentially means is that I don't 
think that I want to impose a pre-existing yeah. pattern or model of thinking on the world at large. I'm going to look at each individual issue and decide as much as I can to come up with my own opinion about that. And my own opinion will not be based on, well, I'm a lefty, so I must think this about yeah. this. Well, that, that, I mean... But that does lead to a lot of stick. But that basically, that also actually makes you a fairly normal person. Mm. Most people don't go around self-identifying as being a conservative or a in life. Or in, in life. life, but not on social but media. But not on social media. Because social media. Fit the box well, in, well, in my show now yeah. that I do now, one of the things I talk about is why people are so angry on social media. And I think people are angry on social media because social media is about identity, and being angry turns up the volume on who you are. So if you if you want to say I am a transgender activist, or I am a uh, anti-Zionist, or I am pro-Brexit, or whatever, then you do it by being really angry with everyone on Twitter who happens to have not those opinions, or whatever. And that leads to this polarisation. I really think it's not actually about the issue. It's about identity. It's about yeah. people saying, I will be heard more if I shout louder. And also it's the way, and I get this from a sort of journalist perspective in writing columns and stuff, where people seem to be going out of their way to to latch on to oh, I'm absolutely furious about this but yeah. well, if you read the piece or if yeah. you look at what I actually said yes but that's not the point they're, no. they're not interested no, but, in what I that's, said absolutely that's yeah. correct and and you know the biggest problem with the internet and maybe with discussion and utterance in general certainly in politics is something which I'm sure your listeners will be aware of which is confirmation bias so you know most people are not on Twitter to have a discussion they have, they're on there to shout and to have their own opinions confirmed and their own opinions often include opinions about the person tweeting especially if they're well known yeah. so people will assume that I'm a Zionist or that I am a lefty or that I am whatever a Spurs fan quite often <laughs> happened this morning this right. morning I yeah. tweeted something about oh, I can't remember his name the bloke who's just taken over at Leeds He's got a name. It's something like Heckingbottom is his oh, name. Oh, yes. Paul yes. Heckingbottom. I'm not aware because he's been trending on Twitter. I yeah, I wouldn't, but I said, I said, I've never heard of this book before, but I assume from his name that he used to work in a minor capacity for Scrooge, right? Because it sounds like Dickensian. And strange. someone slightly having Bob a go, Kirchner. someone yeah. having a go, said it can't all be news about Spurs, right? Assuming that, A, that that's very big and grand of me to be not interested in the new manager of Leeds, I think he is, yeah. but more importantly, that, of course, I'm a Spurs fan. Of course, fan. of course. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so people have all these assumptions about you that they then attack you for that are probably wrong in the first place. And how does that feel for somebody who's been uh, famous for a long time and obviously pre-social media as yeah. well? Do you assume that actually people had all those views about you before, but now you're sort of... <laughs> you know, you, previously you could go into a show or do a TV mm. show or whatever... And you wouldn't have necessarily, unless they were really committed in sending mm. something in the post. Yeah, you wouldn't have got that. Well, my previous show was called Fame, Not the Musical. The one yeah. I'm doing now is about my family. But my previous show was about fame, and it was partly about that. It was partly about the fact that social media had made it clear to me. But it was clear anyway that if you are famous, then there is a version of you out there that is not you uh, and that is people's conception of you, which is a sort of fair enough thing at some level because we're not designed to know. 700 people or whatever you know we know because of fame and because of technology yeah. we're designed to know six people in our family and maybe our neighbor and so therefore we can't be expected to have a complex rounded view of everyone we meet yeah. on telly or fame or whatever so i know there is a very sort of uh, simplified one-dimensional view of me that many people have yeah. 
weirdly with me, because I've done quite a lot of different things, it's one-dimensional in lots of different ways. Yeah. So some people Can't think, I, think I'm, a, I'm a big old football lad still from 1996. <laughs> Other people think I'm a sort of Jewish intellectual, sort of middle-class bohemian person or whatever. You know, And other people will think something else about me, um, rock and roll comedians or whatever it might be. Because I've had different parts of my career, whoever landed on me then yeah. will think, oh, he's still that. Still think the same thing. Still think yeah. he's that person or whatever. And... I, I am interested, uh, you know, I don't have much actually in the way of um, sort of principles that I apply to life, partly because of this yeah. need to be sort of free thinking and nuanced. But I have two things probably. One is I'm very interested in, in some idea of the truth in being as honest as I possibly can. And the other thing, which is sort of related to that as well, which is to sort of have uh, be true to my own identity. So I'm interested in what, what is my actual identity yeah. and somehow conveying that. So I remember getting a review for my first novel not very good review um, and it's saying that because the, my first novel although a, co- a comic novel was quite literary at times and then I was totally known as a new lad or whatever the reviewer said oh David Baddiel he's this person who seems insistent on trying to muddy his image all the time and I thought that's interesting because that's true but for me it's not muddying my image it's kind of a negative idea it's trying to complexify and be true to who I actually am which like everyone else is a complicated person yeah, who yeah. can't be reduced to a very clear image. Yeah, very hot in here, by the way. <laughs> it's like, quite hot. Yeah. Very, very small, very hot. Yeah, room. yeah. It's because if I the, faint, can you? It's because Parliament is on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no water. It's airless room. It's incredibly hot. Incredibly. I apologise for all those yeah, things. Yeah. We'll just keep going until it's you actually pass the out. red box itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I sort of. I thought, well, what is his politics? And I thought, well, maybe I had an assumption. Well, big in the nineties was probably a new Labour lad went into number ten with Noel Gallagher. I didn't actually perception. get invited to the Noel Gallagher one. I was invited to number ten uh, at some more minor party event, <laughs> uh, and I think to number eleven. But uh, and did you go? Yeah, I've been. I went. I met Blair a couple of times. I actually, interview, interviewed Blair for a ridiculous program in the nineties called the Enormous Election, where people who were on telly in the 90s were interviewing the various politicians. So I think Ulrika interviewed, who was head of the Liberals then, Paddy Ashdown. Paddy Ashdown. Uh, and I cannot remember who interviewed John Major. But I interviewed Tony Blair, which was kind of the... That's the know, big one. That's the, the best big, one. That's the tasty yeah. gig. Uh, and he was great. He was kind of interesting. Actually, actually, you know what I thought about Tony Blair, which I have always thought, I think, about Tony Blair, but was slightly confirmed by meeting him, which is people used to say about Bob Monkhouse that... Whoever Bob Monkhouse was, was lost in this persona that just completely... And Tony Blair felt like that to me. I thought he's really brilliant at being Tony Blair. But that leads me no closer to who the actual person is. You know, he's got it down to a very fine art, this, this... Persona, uh, but I and like Bob Monkhouse has got more and more orange. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed, but not dead. Um, no. But he, um, no, but um, the answer to your question is, I was brought up very left wing. My dad was really left wing, incredibly like instinctively, emotionally Thatcher hating. He was from a very poor area of Swansea. Um, he got out of that and became, you know, a biochemist, and so probably we were lower middle class. I was a scholarship boy, a direct grant actually, went to a private school and all that, but we didn't have any money because he was made redundant and all that, and he was very bitter about that, yeah. and that, that led to a kind of class resentment and blah, blah, blah. An interesting thing for me because people again assume that I'm very middle class and from probably some kind of upper middle class Jewish background yeah. rather like I don't know the Corrins or, or the Freuds it's really not yeah. like that Dollis Hill you know yeah. blah 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 I was when I was young I flirted with communism I went to a couple of young communist meetings I read a lot of Marx incredibly dull um, and <laughs> and at college you know I was at Cambridge 
again, people think all oh, posh, but I was at King's in the 80s, which was unbelievably politically correct, and everyone was bloody marching at Molesworth or wherever it might yeah. be. I got arrested at Stop the City March while I was a student, you know. And I remember being on the cabaret circuit. I was, I was beaten up by the police uh, on this march. I mean, not terribly. I saw people being yeah. beaten up worse. But I remember uh, doing material about it when I was first doing stand-up. I did material about, what was it now? It's something like along the lines of, let me try and remember the joke, about how if you get beaten up by the police, if you get beaten up by skinheads, you can always hope that at some point the police are going to turn up. But if you're getting beaten up by the police, there's no point in thinking, oh, I hope some skinheads turn up. Right? So that was, that was the gag. But as I was doing it back in the 80s, I remember thinking, oh, blood, everyone does material now about police brutality. It was a very 80s subject. I bet I'm the only comedian who has actually been beaten up by, yeah. by the police. Um, but that didn't sort of fit my image as yeah. a, in, a, in a way. So anyway, my point is that as time went on and I became more and more obsessed with the idea of original thought, Frank Skinner would probably tell you that the whole concept of original thought was something sort of I introduced him to and he became very wedded to the church of original thought. Well, that's a very contradictory idea. Uh, I, 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 you can't, you can't, you have no, a lot of that doesn't make any sense. No. Uh, it's not a religion, obviously. Uh, but I had to leave the idea of being left-wing behind. You know, I mean, I probably still am in some way, certainly, you know, the more socially progressive things and certainly, you know, I am anti-racist, anti-sexist, all those things. But in terms of like, you know, I certainly think capitalism is a much better thing than communism, for example. Yeah. Clearly much better at creating, you know, uh, a system in which most people are free and culture can flourish and whatever, for example. So I don't, I don't pin my ideas to any particular political ideology anymore, I don't think. And if you, do you say how you vote? Yeah, I vote Labour. Vote I have Labour. voted Labour. Yeah. Uh, I've always voted Labour. There, I, I, this might be a slight lie that I'm about to say. Not a lie. I mean, a lie to myself. Because I think I vote Labour partly emotionally because of my dad and because, as I said, I came from this very left-wing background. But I, my MP for many years was Glenda Jackson. Okay. And I once heard Glenda Jackson on the radio say, completely seriously, completely unironically, that she felt the best thing that ever happened to her when she was an actress, and when she won two Oscars, was her appearance on the Morecambe and Wise show. And I thought, genuinely, I am always voting for that woman, because <laughs> that is the most brilliant thing to say. Yeah. And true. Yeah. Not just brilliant. Tr- I mean, not in an ironic and, way. And will uh, be the thing she's remembered for. Yeah, for because it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And to really recognise, as she was saying completely unironically, that that's sort of better than when it... Uh, I just yeah. thought, how marvellous. Uh, even though she was a MP. Um, <laughs> never, never in the constituency. But anyway, so I voted for her, and I partly told myself, "Oh well, that's why I vote for her." It's not this thing of like, "Oh well, I'll always vote Labour." And then, uh, who is it now? Tulip Siddiqui is now my MP, and I voted for her. I did, in all honesty, pause a bit because I am a bit concerned about Corbyn's Labour Party and anti-Semitism. Yeah, I am. Con- I am concerned about it. Um, I think, and also, I don't like the hard left. Yeah. I mean, like, I really don't like the hard left. I don't like fascism of any sort. And there are hard left people, certainly around Corbyn, Seamus Mill, as far as I can make out, is a Stalinist, or at least has written a piece for The Guardian saying Stalin wasn't that bad. Well, not, all, not all bad. Yes, yeah, yeah, he yeah. wasn't all that bad. Yeah. Now, that, that's yeah. He was really bad. Yeah. He was really bad. I mean, there really is a much to choose between Stalin and Hitler. That's the weird thing about the left. It's like, yeah, oh no, Stalin, he killed like more people, but he's basically all right because he did some industrialization. Yeah. Same with Mao. Yeah. You know, absolute yeah. right? Yeah. Can we be clear about that? I'm not sure you're allowed to say that on the Red Book <laughs> I think podcast. that might be beat. But no, but these are bad people. Yeah, these yeah. are terrible dictators. And there is a sort of notion that because they're left wing and not right wing, uh, yeah, and they didn't have a straightforward slow. racist policy, although Stalin definitely did. Stalin you know, purged lots of Jews and was about to commit 
I think, a genocide against the Jews when yeah. thankfully he died. Uh, you know, they were really terrible people. And so I don't know quite... It seems weird to me yeah. that particularly the PR, the head of communications yeah. for Jeremy Corbyn, is a bloke who thinks Stalin wasn't all that bad. So, so having said all that, so I have issues, and I have issues yeah. with, with the fact that, and I think they are they are trying to do something about this. But but with the main issue with the anti-Semitism thing is really to do with me with a thing that I did talk about in this panel just now, which is I think anti-Semitism, particularly by the progressive political class, is con- considered to be not as important mm. a racism as other. Racism. It doesn't quite operate on the same playing field as the other racism. So obviously, you know, there are anti-Semites on the right, and there always have been. But right-wing people, one might say, this is very broad, don't feel quite the same need to protect minorities anyway. That's sort of not their bag. It's not their thing. The left, yeah, that's one of our big things, isn't it? Protecting minorities. That's <laughs> yeah. what we do. That's like a big, you know, keynote part of being left-wing. Not Jews so much, yeah. right? And that's, you know why that is? It's because... Someone said to me, and I'm not going to say who this was, uh, when I was doing, he's very, very left-wing person, I mean, you know, well-known for being left-wing in all sorts of ways, said to me uh, when I did a thing which you may know about, which is I did a thing, I made a short film which was shown in football football matches, trying to convince yeah. supporters of all clubs, something that was completely misunderstood, to stop using the word yid. Yeah. And it, was, uh, it got very bogged down with Spurs, thinking that they were being personally attacked. Well, you're a big Spurs uh, fan, as we Because yeah, obviously, <laughs> as a big Spurs fan, I wanted to attack my own club. But no, it was actually provoked by Chelsea, mainly, yeah. which is my club, where it was happening all the time. Uh, you know, people were always shouting that, apparently, at Spurs, or at Spurs fans, or even as ex-Spurs players. Yeah. Eventually, you think this is horrible, yeah. and shouldn't happen in a culture on the terraces which is supposed to be zero tolerance for racism. Yeah. Why is this being allowed? Yeah. It's a prime example of what I'm saying about a not-a-level playing field yeah. for that. So this person, left wing, yeah. someone I know, one of the things I said in the de- debate about that, and to try, to try and bring home what I'm trying to say really, uh, is that the Y word is exactly the same as the P word or the N word, words which have been excised correctly from the terraces and indeed yeah. from normal discourse or whatever. Yeah. You know, and if you want to know just how much the Y word has not been, David Cameron yeah. came up to me. I'll tell you a little scoop at the end of this. But anyway, David Cameron came up to me. I was doing the uh, the the well, actually, he came out in the press and said, "Oh, I think the the word yid is okay for yeah. Spurs fans to say. Just says the word yid. Yeah. He would never say the other words." Just hold on a mark. I must tell you the David Cameron story because this is the podcast to talk about it. But anyway, yeah. this other person who I'm not going to tell you who it was says to me privately, "Well, the." the Y word isn't as bad as the N word. And I said, why not? And he said, because Jews are rich. And I thought, wow. okay, that's amazing, because it's, it's a number of things going on there that are wrong. One, obviously, the basic stereotype. Yeah. Also, the idea that black people aren't, yeah. right? incredibly patronising or whatever. But most importantly, because he is left-wing, this bloke, the sort of sense that, that, that let's say Jews are rich. Let's say yeah. they even are, right? A stereotype I don't agree with, but let's say they are, right? The idea that your income stream essentially disqualifies you from having been protected against <laughs> racism. What's that about? Because yeah. I think because my family, my grandparents were rich in Germany in the 30s. What happened was they lost all their money and many of them were murdered. Yeah. So it didn't help yeah. that they were rich. And the, and the left is supposed to be stopping that stuff from happening, not thinking it doesn't really matter because, because they've got money. Because they've got money. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what's the David Cameron story? David Cameron story is, when that was happening, David Cameron did say, oh, I think it's all right for Spurs fans to use the word yid. And I wrote a piece in The Guardian saying, this is not right, David, and actually thanks for helping the campaign a bit by coming out against it. But then I bumped into him on the agenda, you know, that oh, programme. Yeah, 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 and he was on it and I was on it. 
And I thought, oh, I don't know if this is coming up or not, really. I have no idea. I don't know whether Tom Bradby wants to talk about it. But I then was just in the green room, and David Cameron makes a beeline for me. Never met him before. And he goes, oh, are we going to talk about the Yid thing? Again, no compunction about saying it in front of me, a Jew. I don't think he'd have gone up to a black bloke and said, I'm going to talk about the N-word thing. Yeah. I don't think he would have said that. And I said, I don't know, David. It's sort of up to Tom Bradbury. And he said, well, if we are, uh, I just want to say, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have said the blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, right. And he went, yes, Lord Feldman. I've been speaking to Lord Feldman, obviously a Jew, <laughs> right? Uh, who was his associate, who yeah, you'll yeah, know. Yeah. And he, said, and he yeah. said to me, Badil's right about this. <laughs> so I thought, right, OK. Then it didn't come up on the show, and that was it. But that's, I thought, an interesting moment, really, that David Cameron clearly didn't really know what to say. And this is an important issue and, yeah. and kind of why I do these panels. A lot of people don't really know what anti-Semitism yeah. is. And a lot of people say things that are anti-Semitic without even realising it is yeah. anti-Semitic. And I think David Cameron, who isn't the brightest spark in the box, let's be honest, had said something anti-Semitic when he said it's all right to say the word yid. And then someone cleverer, a Jew, obviously, had said <laughs> well, to he him... Went, he saw his, you know... Yeah, he was his rabbi, essentially. <laughs> and, and the rabbi had said, no, that's wrong, David. Yeah. Uh, the, the, David Badil is right about this. Yeah. And so he'd come up to me worried that that was going to be absolutely proved right on a television programme, and basically said, you know, I'm just going to make it clear to you beforehand, you're right, and so don't, don't, go for don't go for me. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. During the election campaign, you made some jokes about... Mm. Well, there was one that I particularly picked out because I think you then wrote a piece about, about the Theresa May joke. 
Yeah, about dementia. About dementia. So yeah. that she kept on repeating the same thing over and yeah. over again, just like your dad, yeah. who's got dementia. Yes. You've got a load of grief for that as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, you get grief for anything. I've noticed, <laughs> I've noticed one of the things about doing political stuff on Twitter uh, is that, you know, quite a lot of my jokes now, because I've got 500,000 followers, but also I think I'm more quite well known within people who follow social media as being on social media. So a lot of my stuff gets quite a lot of retweets and yeah. stuff now. And it's basically a law. I mean, the more retweets you get, however innocuous the joke, the more you will get mad viral hate. Um, And it's kind of extraordinary, really. Said something which I think was very, like, nothing-y the other day. I said there was um, Sadiq Khan was lighting a menorah during Hanukkah, and there were some pictures of him with some Jews, Muslims and Jews together. So I said, multiculturalism, despite what you may have heard, is actually great. J.K. Rowling retweeted it. Next thing you know, it's got 10,000 retweets or whatever. But, I mean, just unbelievable Brexit nutters. And then horrible images of people saying, oh, well, multiculturalism is great. Here are some pictures of, you know, some people being raped by Muslims or whatever. It was completely nonsense, rubbish that they've made up. Yeah. Yeah, you get sort of this extreme stuff. So the dementia thing, yeah, I did get some. I mean, I, it was very, that one was very interesting for me because my show, my family, not the sitcom, to mention it again, uh, which is on tour at the it's moment. Touring now. Yeah, touring now. It's touring now. It's touring the All theatres near you, up and down the country. Is it begins by talking about social media? You know, if you come to the show, you'll think for a little while, why is he talking about this? Uh, and the reason <laughs> I'm talking about this, apart from the fact that it gets, gets laughs, because uh, I choose some of the funniest examples of people getting outraged yeah. on social media at my stuff, is I'm saying, look how outraged people get. Look how outraged they get about nothing. Right uh, now, I'm going to do some quite outrageous material about my family. So you're just sort of ra- no, I'm raising bar. an intellectual point. Oh, okay. I'm saying uh, that. We live in a culture of outrage, of reflex outrage. Uh, And I am going to talk about some quite outrageous subjects, dementia, infidelity, blah, blah, blah. But because they're about my parents, I'm sort of outflanking you, aren't I? Because the person who should be offended and outraged is me. And I sort of challenge the audience to get outraged, as outraged as these people do, on my behalf. And so that's why I do it. And the dementia joke about Theresa May was kind of in line with that. I'm sort of saying, like, no, no, I can make a joke. About it's your dad. I, I live with it the whole yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't live with me, but I see him all the time. I care for my yeah, dad. Yeah. I am one of my dad's carers, yeah. and so I and I have to put up with it. And me, jokes are important. Yeah, yeah, you know, which is kind of the point of part of my show is that um, I say this in the show at one point is that journalists often say to me, "Is it okay to make jokes about dementia?" And I say, "It's not okay. It's necessary. Yeah, you know, it's really the only way to get through it a lot of the time." And from your point of view, because you you sort of partly in the political world as well. There's always a big debate about social care and dementia and mm. looking after the elderly and that sort of thing. Do you get involved in that as a political debate about no. what we should do? No, and actually, in terms of what just happened with the anti-Semitism thing, it relates to the same thing, is that there were, at one point a question came from the floor, I think from Brian Paddock, saying, so what should we do? Should governments be legislating about social media and free speech or should individual companies be doing it? Similarly, with dementia... My point is this. My point is when I'm on that panel and he says something like that, I think, I don't know, I'm a comedian. Yeah. You know, my job is just to tell my story, talk about these life These days, anybody is. can become a politician. So yeah, well, you might as well. I suppose you might as well but I, no, but I don't, I don't want to be that. Yeah. I, I, I want to be someone who tell, is a storyteller, talks about his own experience, yeah. tries to make fun of whatever, and hopefully, you know, provides a bit of insight into the world along the way. But fixing things is not my job and I, and I and so a woman wrote to me the other day saying oh I saw your because I did a TV show about my dad as well a documentary yeah. on Channel 4 and obviously the show is so it, it was really sad you know she wrote to me and said I can't get anything out of my local NHS authority about my dad he's got the same disease as your dad you know what shall I do and I said I'm really sorry but I can't 
you just have to go back to them and try and find some help and whatever because I my job I can't help you yeah. I can I can tell you I can the only thing I can do is make you feel less alone yeah with my jokes and my stories but I can't fix what's wrong with the NHS in your area yeah well, I suppose it's because people look at our current politicians and think, well, they've got no idea. Well, no, they, I, Somebody needs to come up with Well, they're something. winging it, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, but everyone's winging it, is the yeah. truth. And I think, we, I think politicians have to pretend that they're not. I yeah. mean, amazingly, when you look at Boris Johnson, obviously he's winging it. I mean, he's winging his whole look you know, <laughs> every day, you know. And, and he's, he is winging it, yeah. Boris Johnson, because I don't believe Boris Johnson's even that bothered about Brexit. He just saw an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, this isn't me being a political commentator, but he saw an opportunity, saw a gap in the market to like become the champion of Brexit or whatever, and then he took it. But I don't, you know, he's not interested, and therefore he has to. But win it wasn't. It. I think at the beginning it wasn't supposed to happen. No, he, no. He was, I'll become the, the. I'll wave the flag. Yeah. It won't happen, and at least I'll I'll be yeah. defeated. I'll be defeated, but I'll, I'll be defeated honorably, and also all these <laughs> nutcases in the, in the Conservative Party. I'll then be their champion. Yeah. And they'll vote for me in the next leadership election. Yeah. And it doesn't quite work out like no, that. No, it quite work out like And what about Brexit? Are you, are you gripped by Brexit? Are you, well, are you one of the sort here's of the thing about London Brexit. I want to, I, gripped by... Uh... <laughs> well, that's another thing, is that people assume I'm a Remainer. I mean, I voted Remain, but, I, you know, I'm very happy to hear a very good uh, argument for leave. I wasn't like, like, oh, you're an idiot for wanting to leave. And actually, I heard one or two arguments that I thought were pretty good yeah. for, for leave. And also, of course, the EU's a bloody mad federal superstructure with lots of people who don't know what they're doing who are also winging it of course yeah but here's what changed my mind about brexit again i was on the agenda a couple of times with nigel farage who was he was very charming in person actually nigel farage uh, and was very keen to tell me that he had destroyed the extreme right in britain have you ever heard him say this shtick like like well, by inviting them all into his party <laughs> yeah basically yes <laughs> basically nigel farage is very keen to say to people like me who he assumes are very left-wing but also knows that i you know my family are only here because britain has a yeah. at one point or at least has a very good record for tolerance to immigrants because my mum was a refugee from nazism so you know she was basically an asylum seeker yeah. that's the only reason i'm alive so he's very keen to tell people like me oh yes the bnp don't exist anymore because ukip and blah 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 <laughs> managed to sort of like fold the reasonable people from there into us and now they're just a sort of rump on like or whatever but anyway here's what bothered me about it is I actually said to Nigel Farage and I was wrong. Uh, I said, oh, Nigel, you know, here you are banging on. This is two years ago or whatever, banging on about Europe. It's so boring, Europe, I said. No one's interested in Europe. It's, you've made it your thing, but it's really boring, right? And then I realised something as it, time went on. What he's done is it is boring. You're, the EU, Brexit, it's about trade deals. It's about the fine print of tariffs and trade deals and this and that, blah, blah, and the Maastricht Treaty and whatever. It's the most boring thing in politics. So and you know what he's done? Is he's made it an emotional issue yeah, yeah. about identity and, and patriotism, whatever, which is not what it's about. Literally no one, I'm not calling them stupid, but literally no one who voted Leave has read the Maastricht Treaty, right? I mean, just no one's read reason. it. In general, yeah, yeah. it's too boring. Yeah. But he personally and this was an amazing thing in a way made it no 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 if you are proud to be british and blah 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 and three lions yeah. <laughs> whatever then you should be you should be voting well, they did, ukip did a, did a version of three lions well, yeah mandy boylet i don't know if she represented although who does represent ukip because they seem to be just a collection of she could be bank. leader now while no, we've been in yeah, this it's entirely move, possible that mandy <laughs> i would like mandy to be leader she tweets me quite often very fondly uh, but if anyone doesn't know uh, what matt was referring to there Mandy Boyler, who was a UKIP councillor or stood as a UKIP councillor, I don't know, Something one of the like two. That. She's like a, a very lovely middle-aged woman, Jewish, actually, uh, as she was very keen to tell me, uh, did a video of herself in <laughs> Union Jack pop socks. I say herself, 
you know, there were two of her. She split screened it and did a song that was a version of Three Lions. I could have sued her because, after all, she didn't pay for this, no royalties. I chose not to because I chose to write an article about it, so it was funny. Uh, which includes, I mean, basically, it's about Brexit to the tune of Three Lions. And the only bit I can now remember about the EU, it, uh, it went, they've taken all our money and fish. <laughs> 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 That's brilliant. I love that. Why, why didn't you think of that? When you I really wish I had. No, 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 honestly, really I mean, you know, I, I'm not that big of a fan of the whole it's so good, it's bad, sort of like a guilty pleasure, but really that was so it was good. It, it was brilliant. It was one of the highlights of the referendum yeah, campaign. It was, really. It was. Uh, UKIP didn't actually adopt it as a, you know, anthem, which I thought was a real shame. They should have. I, I'd love to have seen God knows who it might be, whoever their leader was. I don't even know who their leader was. Was it Nigel? It was, but, was it still? Was it Nigel during it was the break? Nigel then? Because then right. he had Torvald Dean's <laughs> old double-decker bus. That okay, used. That's not the NHS turned. bus. That's a different bus. It's a different bus, <laughs> and it was purple. Okay. And he went around on the top of it. Oh, and did he? he kept being like hit by branches. And, you know, the driver was obviously <laughs> yeah, and Ron Hicks. Trying, <laughs> trying, trying yeah. to bump it off. Well, I tell you what, I would quite like is for Henry Bolton and. Joe Marnie, that's pretty good. Uh, Joe Marnie to get married in the end and for their first dance to be to Mandy Boylet's version of Three Lions. I'd love to see that. It'd be beautiful. Well, that seems like a good. Um, and if we could dig it out, well, we, yeah. could, we could presumably. We could, you we can could end on it if you want. Yeah. We'll end, we'll end well, the podcast. I think, I think if Mandy sues you, I'll have something to say about it. <laughs> that's perfect. Well, on that, in that case, massive thanks to David. Thank and we'll you. play you out with Mandy Boylet's version of Three Lions. Thank you very much. I could sit and listen to that all day. A final reminder that you can get tickets for David Bedill's new tour, My Family Not the Sitcom, at davidbedill.com. Sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on your Android device. Right, that's all the plugs for this week. For me, Matt Jolly. Goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.